Good morning. Man, it's good to see you. Um, listen, a special shout out again to those of you who braved walking through these doors for the first time to hang out with a bunch of people who could have been crazy. I mean, we're crazy, but we could have been crazier than we really are. So we're really so glad, as Matt said a little bit ago, that you chose to come and spend some of your morning with us. And let me just parrot what Matt, Matt said as well. Just and. Special welcome back uh, to you college students. And if you're a college student here for the first time, a special welcome to you. In fact, welcome home. We're so glad that you came to join us and to be a part of what the Lord is doing here. Um, in fact, we just wrapped up a series in which we're talking about the significance and centrality of the local church. And one of the things we talked about was this idea that if the church is central in the affection and the agenda of Jesus Christ, and the church cannot be secondary. The church cannot be an afterthought in our agenda and our affection. And so especially to those of you college students, even as your year gets started with all the different things that are going to be on your plate, kudos to you for making a priority of being here. We look forward to figuring out how to connect you. We look forward to seeing you just soar in the gifts the Lord has given you. But once again, welcome home. Uh, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Mission Point Community Church. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of launching uh, a four-week conversation that we are calling Decisions, Decisions, Knowing God's will, knowing the will of God. And I'm so, so looking forward to this conversation. And by the way, this really is a conversation. I realize that when we're sitting in this room, I'll be doing the majority of the talking. But our desire is that this would be a conversation that carries beyond this room. Our hope is that you would take some of the thoughts that we wrestle with and you would wrestle with friends and family and, and different groups that you may start to connect with or your roommate or whoever else the case might be, because we're convinced it's actually when you carry the conversation on that the word of God really starts to settle into our hearts because listen to me if all you do is show up on a Sunday morning and listen to a really good-looking guy talk I think we don't milk the most out of the word of God that is possible the power really lies in those conversations in which we get to ask each other, are you doing more than just listening to the Word of God? Are you applying the Word of God? How are you applying it? And how can we pray and how can we support each other as we long to live what we hear? If all we do is show up to church and one guy talks, I think we miss so much of what the Lord has for us. So again, in Connection Month, continue to encourage you to dive in and to connect. And while I'm thinking of it, a special shout out to the student section over here. Do you guys make noise? Are you allowed to make noise? You can? That is just subpar, but that's all right. We're working on it. But 7th through 12th graders, I know we're going to be carrying on the conversation at my house. MP students, check it out. Represent. You guys like the shirt? That's what's up. So anyway, we're going to be carrying on the conversation. By the way, I'm not going to call anyone out, but when this video started running, there was a question up there, should I marry him? And some girl's like, yeah! Slow down! <laughs> Students, slow down. But anyway, we're going to carry on a conversation at our place. By the way, if you have a kid, 7th through 12th grade, if you are a kid, 7th through 12th grade, and if you don't like being called a kid, 7th through 12th grade, regardless, we're going to be hanging out and having this conversation at um, our home. And you can find details and address out at the Connection Corner. But we want to launch this 
four-week conversation around the will of God. Okay, why a conversation about the will of God? Now, I could make something up to tell you why I think it's important for us to have a conversation about the will of God, but I think Paul says it so much better than I possibly could. So if you have a copy of the scripture, um, join me in um, Ephesians chapter 5. And if you don't own a Bible, we're going to have the verses up here. But I would encourage you, after the service, head to the Connection Corner. We have a Bible for you. We would love to get a physical copy of God's Word in your hands. Listen, what we think, you know, might be cool and might even be trendy on occasion, but it's the Word of God that transforms lives. We believe it's living. We believe it's active. We believe it changes us. And so if you don't have a copy, we would love for you to have um, a copy and begin to engage and find yourself engaged by His Word. Ephesians chapter 5, um, and we're going to have the verses up here on the screen starting at verse number 15. Why a conversation about the will of God. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 5. This is what he says. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The days are crazy. The days will attempt to deceive and derail you. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. So we want to have a conversation around the idea of the will of God because we believe that understanding the will of God is key to making and milking the most out of the moments we get on this sphere. And for these fleeting moments we have in this life. Paul seems to suggest if you are wise... And you want to make the most of the moments you get on this rotating cylinder, you will want to know the will of God. Which, by the way, means this conversation, this series is not for everybody. It may not be for you. Um, because, again, you may be one of those people who's like, yeah, I'm really into wisdom. Well, this series won't be for you. You may not appreciate it. Because verse 17 said, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And if you're like foolish for life, yo, then hey, listen, you do you, boo, but this series may not be for you. If you're like the world's dumbest criminals, that's my jam. Get hit by parked cars, all the time. If you're one of those people who's like, if you don't go to my funeral, I'm not going to yours. You might not appreciate this series, but if wisdom is of interest to you, this conversation applies to you. And by the way, let me be very clear that when we speak about wisdom, we're not speaking so much about intellect. We're not speaking so much about intelligence because you know some really intelligent people who make a whole lot of boneheaded decisions. 
The idea of wisdom, as Paul uses it, is the art of living skillfully. It's not so much about being informed. It's not so much about being correct. It's about being able to make the right decisions in the key moments of life. It's not so much about knowing the truth as much as it is knowing how to apply the truth when life presents the opportunity and requires it. And Paul says, listen, if that is interesting to you, If the art of living skillfully and milking and making the most out of these few and fleeting moments we have in this world, if that's of interest to you, then you will want to know God's will. Verse 16 of Ephesians 5, making the most of every moment, every opportunity, because the days are evil. If you ever think you might come into a situation, you find yourself at a crossroads, and you want to be able to make the best decision to milk the most out of life, this conversation might be of interest to you. If you suspect that you may get into a situation in which you have to make a key decision whose consequences might take you down two divergent paths, and you want to be armed and prepped to make the most of those moments, this conversation is for you. But if you're happy to wing it with your life, hey, pity the fool, but you do you. And let me say this, even before we get into Uh, the crux of this conversation. If you are sitting in this room and there is any part of you that says, I want to live skillfully. I want to learn to milk and make the most of the moments that I get on this sphere called earth. I want to be able to step into life's opportunities and, and make the best decisions. If that's you, guess what? You and God are on the same page. Turns out that's exactly what God wants for you. In fact, we'll see in the course of this series that God wants you to know his will for your life more than you will ever want to know it. So much so that he commands it. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That's that's a command. And by the way, how cool is our father who says, I command you to live a life that allows you to milk and make the most of the opportunities. And we'll see this later on, so I won't get too into it, but I grew up um, with this idea of the will of God being this really mystical Da Vinci decoding required, and it's hidden, and it's just this secret, and God is trying to keep it from us. It's hide and go seek with his will. So I love when I read a passage like this that makes very clear, no, 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 God wants us to know his will. He's not hiding it from us. But... Even though God is on the same page with those of us who want to live fully and make the most out of the moments we have, even though God makes his will available to us, it requires us to want it and it requires us to work it. That's why Paul says, don't be a fool, but understand God's will. It's available to you, but you need to lean in. You need to press in. You need to actually work to unravel and understand God's will, which means that there's some of us who just never work to understand it. 
and therefore we do not get to enjoy what is available to us. And so we're having this conversation because we're a bunch of people who want to milk and make the most of the life God has given us for his name's sake. But we realize that for that to happen, we have to do a little work to understand it. Hence, this conversation. So, uh, this morning, we want to start our journey towards understanding. We want to start working a, a little bit to understand God's will by laying the groundwork for where this conversation will go in the next few weeks. And we just want to start by, by, by really talking about what do we even mean when we say the will of God? What does that even mean? And um, so this morning um, is going to be a little bit on the teachy side. If I had like reading glasses, I would put them on right now for profound effect. Um, but we are going to kind of lean into some definitions that I think will be so significant for us as this conversation continues. The will of God. Um, when you hear the term the will of God, it could be this daunting and this overwhelming and maybe even this intimidating um, thought. But the idea of the will of God is really simple. Um, God's will, and we'll have this up on the screens, God's will is what God wants to have or have happen. It's really that simple. God's will is what God wants to have or what God wants to have happen. It's just a way of describing what God desires. In this regard, you have a will, I have a will. There are things I want, there are things I want to have, there are things I want to have happen. That's a description of my will. So when we talk about understanding the will of God, we are simply talking about understanding what God wants to have or what God wants to have happen. And Paul would say, you are wise and you are going to milk the most out of life if you understand what God wants. If you understand what God wants to have happen. So again, let's... let's get a, a better feel of that. When it comes to what God wants, uh, there are three aspects to the will of God, three primary aspects to the will of God. There are many different aspects, but three primary aspects to the will of God that we want to um, zone in on. When the Bible speaks about the will of God, it's speaking about God's sovereign will, or it's speaking about God's moral will, or it's speaking about God's specific will. God's sovereign will, God's moral will, or God's specific will. And again, we're going to see that this is going to help us as we understand, as we distinguish what we are talking about when we use the term. Okay, God's sovereign will. Let's start there. Um, sovereign. Uh, sovereign is a, a word that speaks about uncontested authority. This is such a great and scary word. It's 
the idea of uncontested authority. It means someone has the right to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and no one can stop them. It means Wherever someone goes, it's their party. They can cry if they want to. They can do whatever they want to do. If you've grown up in the church, then you've probably heard, you know, this idea of God is sovereign. That's just schmancy way of saying God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants, and nobody can stop him but him. That's how he rolls. He is sovereign. His authority is uncontested. It is unrestricted. It is uninhibited. That's why it says um, in Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 that he, God, changes times and seasons because he can. He disposes kings and he raises up others because he is God and he can. Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him because he can. Because he is sovereign. I don't know what kind of God you've grown up believing in. I don't know what kind of God you're accustomed to worshiping, but the God of the Bible is uncontested, uninhibited in his authority. He is not a democratic God. He's not a poll-taking God. He's not a vote-seeking God. He doesn't need anyone's approval, doesn't need anyone's permission, doesn't need anyone's blessing, doesn't need anyone's counsel. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, row with it. God is sovereign. That's how the Bible describes him. And so sometimes when the Bible speaks about the will of God, it's speaking about those things that God wants and wants to have happen that he is going to have happen regardless. It's speaking about things that God wants to do that he is going to do exactly the way he wants to do it, exactly when he wants to do it, and nobody and nothing is going to stop. Him. All the king's men and all the king's horses can protest, but they cannot slow him down or stop him. He is going to get it done. That's the sovereign will of God. We have no say in the matter. We have no choice in the matter. He's going to do it regardless. We, we're obviously not privy to God's sovereign will. We don't have his script. We don't know all of the things that are part of his sovereign plan, the things he's going to get done regardless. But he oftentimes lets us in. He lets us behind the veil of his plans and gives us a sense of some of his sovereign agenda. And he does that by making promises and Predictions. So if you're ever reading the Bible, which I, I so strongly recommend that you do, and you come across a promise, you come across a place in which God says, I will, woo, circle that. That's a promise. That's a prediction. God is letting us in on something he has every intention of doing, and nothing is going to stop him from doing it. 
Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. There is a day in the future when the clouds will split and the Son of God will re-enter our atmosphere and he will judge the living and the dead and he will make all wrongs right. That's God's sovereign will try and stop him. There is a day in the future when every knee will bow in the presence of the risen and returned King Jesus. That is not an option. God is not going to take a poll. We have no say in the matter. Our knees will involuntarily buckle in his great presence. That is just a sovereign plan of our God. There is a day in the future when Satan is going to consume flames. He's going to eat flames forever. That's just part of God's sovereign plan. And by the way, I I love being reminded of the fact, particularly in such a fractured and fragmented time in our history, you know, I love being reminded that part of God's sovereign plan that he's led us in on is there is coming a day when around the throne of Jesus Christ, there will be gathered people from every tribe and every language and every ethnicity and every color and every socioeconomic background. Sovereign will of God. He is going to get that done. He doesn't take your opinion. He doesn't care about your poll. He's going to get this thing done. That is a sovereign agenda of our God. Sometimes when we speak about the will of God, that's what we're talking about. We're speaking of it in the sovereign sense. Things God wants that he's going to make sure he gets. And by the way, while we're on the topic, whenever you see a promise or you see a prediction, or you see a prophecy that lets us in on the sovereign will of God, the appropriate response is to surrender and prepare. The appropriate response to the sovereign will of God, let me say it again for both of you who are taking notes, is to surrender (laughs) and is to prepare. Because there is nothing you can do to stop it. There's nothing you can do to alter it. There's nothing you can do to dissuade it. So Paul would say the wise thing to do would be for you to surrender. The, The wise thing for you would be to prepare, to realign your life and learn to want what God wills because resistance to his sovereign will is futile. That's another reason I find it almost tragic that anybody, anybody would opt to kind of delve into the realm of racism. I'm like, listen, you are going to get run over by the sovereign plan of a God who loves diversity and his entire gospel is rooted in bringing a family of people who have nothing in common into one place under one name of Jesus. You better surrender and prepare for that because you're not going to like heaven if, if you're not into that kind of thing. Surrender. And prepare. Now you can understand, by the way, why Paul would say, don't be a fool. Understand what God's will is. Because if you live not understanding that there are things God is going to get done, then you are going to run head on into the plan of a sovereign God. If you want to make the most of the moments, understand as many things that God has promised and predicts as possible. It will make you wise. Because if he's going to destroy this world, which he is going to do, sovereign will, then you're going to realize, I better not build a kingdom in this world. Because it's obviously not going to last. If I understand it, it's going to judge sin. 
then we all, I probably shouldn't just ignore it and keep living like I can do whatever I want and it doesn't matter. Surrender and prepare. So sometimes when we speak about the will of God, we're talking about his sovereign will, what he wants and what he will get done regardless. But there is a second sense in which this term is used. And sometimes it's speaking about God's moral will. Moral will. Now, moral is a word that has to do with right and wrong. Um, sovereign will is what God wants to do, and he will do it. But there are things that God wants all of us to do, and so he demands them of us. That's his moral will. And because he's God, he gets to decide what things are right, what things are wrong. And so, if you're ever reading the Bible, which I strongly recommend, and you come across anything that says you must, ooh, circle that. That is a command from God. That's a command. You must, you must not. That's a command. You should, you should not. That's a command. Do, do not. That's a command. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. But do love your neighbor. Do live generously. Those are commands. And these biblical commands are important because the biblical commands give us access and insight into what God's moral will is. You never have to live your life wondering, what does God want from me morally? He's been so gracious to tell us in the commands he's put in this book. The moral will of God. I may not always be read into the sovereign will of God, but his moral will has been handed to me if I'm willing to work to understand it so that I can live wisely according to what he has said. Now, the thing about the moral will of God that makes it different from his sovereign will is choice. I actually get a say in the moral will of God. Now, please don't get me wrong. I don't get a say in what's wrong or right. I don't get a say in what God decides is right or wrong. But I get a say in whether I go along with it or not. That's a trip to me, by the way. That God in his sovereignty has given room for us to say nope to his commands. Stop messing around with your girlfriend. No, no, I quite enjoy it. I'm going to continue. Thank you, God. Stop disrespecting your parents. Ah, but they kind of annoyed me today, so I'm going to go with that if you don't mind. Right? It is crazy to me that God has encoded into his sovereign will room for us to disregard his moral will and say no to the things that he commands. It's still his will. It's still what he wants to have and what he wants to have happen. But in this case, he allows us to say yes or to say no. But Paul would say, don't be a fool. And it is royally foolish to ever say no 
to God's command, to God's moral will. Because contrary to popular opinion, God's moral will doesn't exist to restrict us. It actually exists to protect us from things that will ultimately destroy us and others. And it exists to point us to the things that will actually bring joy and will bring life. So Paul would say, if you want to make the most of life, you actually want to say yes to God's moral will because it is designed for your good. For his glory, but for your good. Don't steal. Because you don't want to live in a world in which your kid's stuff is constantly taken by other people. You don't want to live in that kind of a world. That's not to restrict you. Don't lie. Come on, you don't want to live in a, in a world in which you don't know up from down and people are catfishing each other and Ponzi scheming and no one knows what's true and what's false. You don't want to live in that world. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to because you, you don't want to become permanently one with someone you're not permanently one with. That is ultimately going to bring about destruction. Be generous because you ultimately want to live in a world in which you know if anything ever happened to you, there would be people who would take care of your kids. That's the world you want to live in. So God doesn't make these moral laws to restrict us. He makes these moral laws to protect us from things that will destroy us and destroy others and to point us to these oases from which joy springs. And Paul would say, if you were wise, you would want to understand God's moral will and live accordingly so that you make the most of and you milk the most out of these few and fleeting moments you have on this cylinder. So you want to understand the will of God because that's wise. Not to mention, you know, I've got to say this because it's true. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 21, be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. I always find that so amusing. I have every freedom to say no to the moral will of God. I don't have to obey him. The problem is he has to kick my butt. I can say no, but I will face the consequences eventually of saying no to God. He is going to have his way. And so Paul would say the wise thing would be to obey his moral law so that I will not only enjoy the best this life has to offer, but I also get to enjoy the best the next life has as well. So be wise and understand what the Lord's will is. So the will of God um, could refer to his sovereign will. And by the way, let me jump a few weeks ahead because we're going to wrestle through this. When somebody comes and says, I really want to know the will of God, I'm always curious to know, what do you mean? Do you mean his, like his sovereign will? No, no, not that. His moral will, no, no, not that. I want to know the fun stuff. And usually they're talking about this next area. The specific will of God. But as you see, we cannot really meaningfully have a conversation about the specific will of God if we don't talk about his sovereign will and his moral will. That will make sense as we go on in this conversation. So the will of God could refer to his sovereign will. It could refer to his moral will. 
And wisdom says I should seek to understand both of those things so I can align my life and so I can surrender and so I can make the most of the moments. But there's a third aspect, and this is the aspect that we'll focus most on in this conversation. Again, it's this idea of God's specific will. This is where the majority of the conversation around the will of God centers. This refers to the things God wants to have and the things God wants to have happen specifically for my life. They are things God wants and is going to do them regardless. That's his sovereign will. There are things God wants and he demands all people do them regardless. That's his moral will. But there are things God wants and he custom designs them specifically for me to do. That's God's specific will. There are things that he desires and he designs for me that he doesn't desire and design for you. There are places that God has mapped for my path to go that your path is not designed to go. But just like the moral will of God, you get a say. You have a choice whether or not you go along with whatever script God has mapped for your life or you don't. And just like his moral will, and I think it's different, but just like his moral will, to disregard what God has specifically mapped for your life has consequences. And we'll talk about this in, in, in the future weeks. But this idea is that God has specific plans for me. God didn't want Aaron to go and emancipate the enslaved Israelites from Egypt. He wanted Moses to do that. God didn't want you know, Elizabeth to carry his holy child in her womb. He wanted Mary for that. And God may not want you in vocational ministry. He might want you in the orthopedic world. Specific plans. You don't have to say yes. You can choose. I'm going to walk the path that I've mapped out. Because you know, when I was 13, I decided what I wanted in my life. And I drew a plan. In fact, people ask me, what's your five-year goal? Well, when I'm 18, I'd like to be married and own a car, you know, and have kids. Whatever the case might be, you've planned things. And you are very welcome to go and live out your plans for your life. But Paul would say, don't be a fool. If there is even the possibility that God has scripted very uniquely a plan and a purpose for your life, milking and making the most of this world, will be to understand that and to live according to it. Otherwise, you may just miss the best of the days you have. I was tempted to, to look really quickly at the story of Jonah, but we may get to that in future weeks. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh and preach to those people. Wait, me or him? No, you, Jonah. Go where? To Jericho? No, no, to Nineveh. 
okay, um, I don't want to do that. Okay. I'm going to go to Tarshish. That's great. You know, Tarshish and the big fish. And, and life didn't go great for Jonah. And I do wonder, and we'll process this. That's why this is such an important conversation to be having. Some of us might be in the gastric juices of life right now. You know what I'm saying? Life stinks a little bit. And perhaps there's been a little disregard. But the idea of the specific will of God is where we want to center um, a lot of our conversation in the coming weeks. Now, let me say this. Um, the idea of the specific will of God has split the church, like right here, like right down the middle, for years and years and years. Um, and whether you've ever stopped to think about it, you have most likely taken one side or another when it comes to the conversation around the specific will of God. Let me explain this. Most people, all of us, look at us getting along, would agree that God has a sovereign will. That thinks he's going to do whether we like them or not. Check. Most of us will agree God has a moral will. There are things God says should be done by all people, regardless of the time, regardless of the generation. Most of us will agree with their right and their wrong things. Where the tension tends to lie is in the question, does God really have a specific will for our lives, though? And that question tends to split the church right here. Does he really have a specific does he really does god really 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 care whether i get married or whether i don't does he really really care whether i get married in high school or get married after college now your parents care in fact they're freaking out that i brought that up right now but does god really care whether i live in winona lake or whether i live in winston-salem does god really 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 care whether i major in literature or major in the ladies does he really really care does he really, really care whether I watch football or whether I watch real football? Like, do those things even matter to him? And whether you've thought about it or not, you land one way or the other in that conversation. And I'm not saying it's of eternal consequence, but what I am saying, it is going to affect the way you live. It's going to affect how you pray. It's going to affect how you plan. In fact, it's going to affect whether you decide this is something to pray about or whether this is something to plan around. And there are two primary camps right down the middle. And the two sides are really complicated. One side says, no, God doesn't really have a specific will for each of our lives. And you never guess it, but the other side says, yes, he does. And then there's tension, and then there's disagreement, which you're all going to figure out in your conversational contexts. Um, the people who say no, um, you could refer to them as the circle camp. So you are all the circle camp. Congratulations. And the people who say, like, of course he does, are like the dot camp. 
So you might not have realized, but you are team dot and you are team circle. Now, let me explain this to you really, really quickly. It's very simple. But the circle side will say, no, God does not have a specific will for all of our lives. God's will is like a circle. And what the circle is, is God's moral will. There are right things and there are wrong things that God lays out. As long as you stay in the circle of what's right, he doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care if you get married or don't get married. But if you do get married, make sure you marry someone who's a believer in Jesus because that's a moral issue. He doesn't care whether you go to Mission Point or go to 17th Baptist Church down the road. As long as they preach Jesus. He doesn't care whether you live in Warsaw or whether you live in in New Mexico. As long as you get plugged into a church, he doesn't care about the specifics. In fact, Team Circle will look at Team Dot and say, come on, you guys are crazy. I mean, think about this for for a quick second. You, You really think God cares what socks you all wore this morning? Like he cares whether you had a casserole or whether you had like, you know, cornflakes this morning? They say it's actually a little bit on the arrogant side to assume that God is sitting around mapping and scheming about your specific life. (laughs) Team Circle, you guys are, are funny too, because Team Circle will go so far as to say, not only is it a little bit on the arrogant side, you're all so presumptuous, but you know, the Team Circle will say, and and also it just is illogical to say God has a, a, a specific will for our lives. Right? I mean, how would you guys answer this, right? I mean, so let's assume God has a specific person that you're supposed to marry, and you then miss that person and marry the wrong person. So now you've married the wrong person, and now they don't get to marry the right person. And now you've thrown up the whole marital equilibrium, and now you're all having the wrong kids, which explains why this nation is in turmoil. So clearly that doesn't make sense. Y'all need to think your dot situation, that doesn't make sense at all. Team Circle will say, as long as you do not sin, God doesn't care what you do. In fact, whatever you do, just work at it with all of your heart. And whatever you do, as long as you do to the glory of God, have at it. Team Dot over here looks at Team Circle and like, you have lost your spirituality. Um... Because the picture you all paint of God is a picture of an absentee dad who's like, I don't care what you do, I don't care where you go, just be back by midnight. So Team Dot will say, no, we agree God has a moral will. There are right things and there are wrong things. But within the circle of his moral will, there are dots. There are very specific things that he has for each of us. It's not just that God, you you know, wants you to marry a Christian girl. No, no, no. God wants you to marry Shanene Jenkins. He knows who she is. He knows where she's from. It's a very specific person. God does care where you live. God actually, Team Dot will say, God does care what socks you wore this morning, and he does care what you had for breakfast. He is a father who cares about the intimate details of our lives. He's not an absentee deist God who just sets the clock running and says, do whatever. And all I'm telling you is these are the things you're going to sort out in the context of conversation. By the way, just quick show of hands. Team circle, anyone? Okay, so there's some team circlers. Team dots? 
Okay, and then there's a whole bunch of you uncommitted people uh, <laughs> who are going to figure out and surface what it is you believe about this because this does affect the way that we pray. It affects the way that we plan, and it affects the way that we milk and make the most of the life that our God has given us. And just because I think it's the gentlemanly thing to do, let me tip my hand and say, I lean in the team dot direction. Uh, I'm not saying you are all wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. But that's why we're having this conversation. Over the next number of weeks, I'll share with you some of the reasons I lean in the dotty direction. Um, why I believe some of the things I believe. And then we want to talk about, wait a minute, so if you believe God does have a specific plan for our lives, how do you know what that plan is? And if you believe God has a specific plan for, for our lives, what happens if you miss it? Does everything then get thrown off if you believe God has a specific plan for our lives? Are we living it now? Are we not living it now? And that's what we want to explore in the context of this conversation. But I, I honestly think what a great conversation to be having, especially as I think about some of you who are starting your school years. Some of you who are on the verge of making decisions that will have such profound impact of where your life goes. Whether it's majors or whether it's, you know, you are starting to pick your circle of friends. Uh, you are starting to decide who you get into relationships with. And those things are not of no consequence. Um, as parents, we're now needing to navigate what's happening with our kids. Or at work, we're needing to navigate these new projects or these new teammates. What a great time to, as a people, lean into what Paul says. And say, we do not want to be foolish. We want to understand what God's will is. If nothing else, whether it ends up being dot or circle, what we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is we want to surrender. And we want to prepare. And we want to obey his commands. And we want to milk the most out of the moments that we get on the face of this planet for the sake of his name. So you guys, I'll see you guys at like, 7 p.m., and we'll carry on this conversation. And for the rest of you, I hope you get into connecting contexts where you can continue to have this conversation. If you're new, I would love to spend some time with you in next steps. That will start in about four minutes, you know. So let me just say a quick word of prayer. And again, so good to have you all. Welcome back. And those of you who are guests, we're so glad you're joining us in this conversation, and we trust you join us in connecting in community as well. Lord, thank you so much for not hiding your will from us. Thank you for even giving us a sense of some of your sovereign agenda, some of the things you are going to do. You are a sovereign, unstoppable, undisputed God, and we worship you. And you have every right to tell us how to live, and we want to submit to you. And Lord, if there are specific things you want for each of our lives, we want to lean into those and live them fully. But in any case, may we make the most of the moments and may we end up making the most of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.